you make that step into believing God just for yourself and then believing God for ministry and for, and for a nation and for the people that, that God puts in our path. And so that's how we started. And so we keep going in this vein of just believing God and, and God just keeps providing for every new child that kind of came our way. God would provide them the means to be able to take care of them. And it happened again and again and again with every new child. And so many miracles we've seen at this stage of God's hand and just really clearly providing for us in all kinds of creative ways, not just financially, but in lots of other ways as well. You know, we ended up starting the home. And at that time, we had two children and two became four and four became uh, 10. And before long, you know, um, over the years since, uh, we've taken in um, 46 and, and we've raised. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. This week, we'd like to thank WNO5 for their review. They say, thank you for taking the time to discuss issues of the day from a heart and soul perspective. The insights from the guests force me to think and consider life from so many aspects not least of which is from the biblical perspective. Keep up the good work. Thank you, WNO5. These episodes get us thinking, too. If you enjoy Candid and have a minute, will you share your review on your favorite podcast platform? It helps people to find us, and it is a huge help. Now, on to today's episode. Today's guest is like sitting down with a modern-day George Mueller. You have to listen to this conversation because you will leave it encouraged to pursue a deeper intimacy with God, trusting Him as our loving Father through the triumphs and trials of this life. Imagine raising 46 children from traumatic circumstances in Asia in a family environment relying fully on the Lord for every provision What an incredible undertaking, but one that flowed out of Tammy Ma's incredible, unwavering trust in the Lord. Tammy Ma was born and raised mostly in Georgia in her traumatic circumstances. She was an avowed atheist who put her faith in Jesus Christ while studying at the University of Georgia. Raised without a father and no understanding of the Christian faith, Tammy read the Bible and took God at his word trusting him to provide and lead her daily. He led her to Asia, where she established K-Homes and several other ministries for women and children in profound need. I want you to hear the story straight from Tammy, so I will cut this short. But she has walked through peaks and valleys with the Lord. Most recently, she was ejected from the country where she built her family, and she shares how God has met her in that place even lovingly placing her at Asbury Seminary, the week revival broke out, instilling supernatural peace in her heart. And yes, we will talk about that. Tammy Ma now lives in the United States and leads Mom of Many Ministries, where she helps Christian parents intentionally connect and guide their children into a vibrant relationship with the Lord. She's also starting a new podcast of the same name to coach parents as they face common parenting challenges. We cover so much ground in this conversation, and I don't want you to miss a minute. Our hope is that this episode encourages you in your walk with Christ, in your prayer life, and that it would encourage you in whatever it is that God has called you to, whether it's parenting or serving on the mission field, that nothing 
is impossible with Christ. Well, today I have a special guest, Tammy Ma. So we are talking about South Asia and reaching untold young people. We don't even have terminology for it, but um, Tammy has a a wonderful testimony. She's cared for many young people. And uh, today we're talking about her story and we're talking about uh, parenting and uh, perhaps uh, conversation will lead us in a few other categories that we can cover. But I encourage you to stay tuned and hear from her. It will be well worth your time. Tammy Ma, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Well, and I've heard from the ladies on my team and who've uh, introduced me to you, and they have told me that um, your story is one well worth hearing. Uh, so I wonder if we can start out by hearing about your testimony and how God has had his hand of provision upon you. Okay. I grew up a, in a broken home, and I was an atheist, and I was unchurched. And so I grew up in Georgia most of the time, and I was unchurched. I ended up coming to um, University of Georgia as a college student and being from a broken home. And, and, uh, and of course, Georgia's in the Bible Belt. And I would encounter Christians and I would often make fun of them or make them cry, uh, ask them lots of questions. And, and um, I, you know, I, was, I wasn't aggressive, but I just thought Christianity was dumb. And I wanted to let them know that when they would, you know, if they could, I, I wouldn't go and approach and find people and try to tear them down or anything. But Right. When it presented itself. I would definitely, you know, go toe to toe, so to speak, with them, and and um, you know, some of my friends that would share about Jesus with me would also go get drunk with me, at you know, at the Forty Watt Club in downtown Athens, you know, and so I just I had no respect for their message, yeah, and um, mm. and so over time, uh, a, a friend of mine, this is my second year at, at Georgia, uh, she was uh, this is the University of Georgia, thing. yeah, University of Georgia. And, and so she began inviting me to go to something called the Wesley Foundation, which was based um, in, at the University of Georgia, a campus ministry. Mm. And so she would invite me and I would be like, why would I want to go there? That's crazy. But, you know, eventually she wore me down and I ended up going. And that kind of started a journey for me, just listening. And that night I went, the campus pastor, his name is Tom Tanner, and uh, he's now a pastor at Riverstone in Kennesaw. And he was a campus pastor and he he was sharing his testimony and I had never heard anything like it. And so it just kind of did something in me. And I began just talking more and arguing more, but all the while, I'm pretty sure I was right, but maybe not a hundred percent sure anymore. So uh, I went and talked to Tom early on and I said, you know, okay, this stuff that you're talking about doesn't make any sense to me, but like, how do you, what are you saying? Are you saying like, there's no other way to God except your way? Doesn't that sound arrogant, you know? And, um, and he ended up giving me a book uh, by Ravi Zacharias. Uh, it was called Atheism, A Shattered Visage. Mm. And, um, and in the front of it, he wrote, you know, I hope you find the answers you're looking for. And of course, mm. he talked to me about the Lord and explained the gospel, yeah. but I still rejected it. But um, he had written J-E-R, you know, dot 29 yeah. colon 11 dash 13. And I literally had no idea what that Yeah, meant. sure. He was writing in code to you. <laughs> That's exactly right. I literally thought it was like a Christian code and maybe I would you know, be able to crack it someday. So it, eventually I did figure it out, but it took me a little while. Yeah. And, um, and in that season, you know, we're talking about this season is going on for about from the late fall to the spring of my, uh, my sophomore year. In that season, I just started, you know, started thinking maybe, you know, maybe it's true. And I, and I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but 
you know, I literally came to faith one night when my friend just said, you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, uh, in that time I also read Josh McDowell, you know, ready defense. And I read yeah. CS Lewis, mere Christianity. And I, yeah. you know, I'm saying I'm reading all this stuff and, and I'm actually starting to read the new Testament and, and, um, and something, you know, God was doing some stuff inside of me. And, and I, earlier on, Tom had asked me, why don't you just pray? God, show yourself to me if you're mm. real. Yeah. And if he doesn't show himself, you've got nothing to lose. Mm. And if he does, then you've gained everything, mm. you know, but if you don't ask, then you potentially know. could lose everything, you know? Mm. And so I did. And it was in that season of that six months that I kept you know, reading and talking to people. I would go talk to strangers. Hey, what do you, what do you think about this guy, Jesus, you know? And I would just listen to people's opinions. And, Public and, opinion and, poll, yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> so this is all going on during my sophomore year. By the spring of my sophomore year, my friend was, you know, Tammy, you, you're more hungry than anybody I've ever met. And, and you yeah. want the truth. And like, here the truth is, but I don't get it. Like, what's holding you back? And I said, well, if, if he is who he says he is, like, I think God is real. I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm getting there. I think he might be real too. I think all, all things, but if he is who he says he is, he's asking too much. From what I can read and what, what I can f- kind of figure out is he wants everything. Mm. And I'm not sure I want to give it to him. Wow. That's a big ask. And so, um, you, I said, come a, no, he, you. You'd gone a lot further than most Christians. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, no, thank you. So, and she, of course, she was so disappointed. But the good news is it wasn't much. It wasn't very uh, much longer that I actually ended up going to my dorm room. And, okay, God, actually, I do think you're real. And I think it would be stupid of me not to give you everything. And so uh-huh. I want to know you. And I, you know, I don't know about all this other peripheral stuff, what I believe, what I don't believe. You know, all I know is that you're real and I want to know you, mm. you know, and that was kind of this uh, transformation that almost happened immediately. And so in that season, this is my sophomore year and now we're going to my junior year. I mean, I read the whole Bible. I just sat and read it and read it. You know, I didn't know what I was reading. Sure. And so I'm just reading for the sake of reading and, and, and just like, okay, this is the book. I, I need to read it. You know, I need to get in it. And so I'm reading and I'm talking to people and I'm just growing really fast. You got to put me on like a, I don't know, some kind of timeline that was super sped up, you know? And so right. I had grown up without a father and with a broken relationship at home and a dysfunctional you know, relationship at home. And, but miraculously, I, I almost feel like one of the gifts he gave me was the ability to see him as father almost immediately. Mm. And mm. so I, I didn't necessarily, you know, um, struggle with that, which I should have struggled when I think about it. I understand yeah. people struggling, but yeah. for me personally, it was you like I immediately knew him. for it. Yeah. Or your foundation was broken. Yeah, 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 but you would expect, of course, me to have that difficulty kind of relating to him as father. But like almost immediately, um, I found it extremely easy to just look at him as father. Mm. You know, the father I had never had, and here Mm. he was. You know, and so, Mm. and early on in that in my walk, um, I remember the very first prayer I ever prayed. I mean, I had had, maybe not the first prayer I'd prayed, but the first need I'd made I'd made known to God. I guess. I was sitting in a chair reading Philippians 4, and it was like 419. I'm, you know, I'm reading through the Bible. And then, oh, my God shall provide all my needs. Like, according to his riches and glory, I can just ask him. Oh, that's awesome. I never thought about that. God, I could use a job. I need to make a lot of money. I just need to work a few hours. And I'm praying, and the phone rings, and I pick it up. And it's a friend of mine, and she says, Tammy, I was just thinking about you. Do you need a, a job where you can make a lot of money and just work a few hours? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I said, what? 
and I think I even maybe said a bad word, but I'm not, I, you know, wasn't, <laughs> that, that was, didn't happen. You were still <laughs> slowly becoming sanctified. <laughs> That's right. I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm still not sanctified, but you know, I was, right. on, I was, you're on the journey. And so, yes. So I remember just kind of um, being shocked at that, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I ended up getting this job at a, as a children's pastor at this little church in Athens, Georgia. And I mean, um, you know, going in with the kids and saying to them, guys, look, look at this. I can vividly remember going over Daniel uh, in the lion's den mm. and telling them, um, guys, can you believe this? He was stuck in this like den with all these lions and he nothing. And they were like, we know Miss Tammy. And I was like, no, I don't think you do know. You know, this is amazing. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of my experience. And that's just one example, but it's kind of kept up. And then pretty quickly uh, and, and early on in my walk with God, um, coming from not having any family background, not having any family at all. It's like God just stepped in and mm. just was, just did everything. And so I would pray God, um, you know, some of my friends didn't want to be around me anymore because I wasn't going and getting drunk. You know, mm. I remember just sitting there and, and, and praying, well, God, I need some friends. Mm. Could you help me God? And immediately, like th that same day, this guy just walks, you know, this happened several times, you know, just walks, Hey, uh, you're, you're Tammy, right? And I was like, yeah. He said, I, can I be your friend? I really just want to be your friend. And I was like, whoa, you could just ask God anything. And so, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know that that's not true. <laughs> right. you know? So I ended up just kind of um, being able to just walk in that truth of just asking God anything I needed. And I would need money for, for college. It was expensive. I, I, was, I had a, a grant that covered a little bit, and I had a loan that covered a little bit. Um, in my junior year, I, I wasn't able to get the grant again. Or this, I lost a scholarship, and then I remember just praying, okay, God, I don't know what to do. And I would be praying, God, I need $200. And then I would walk and pray, and I would literally walking and praying, and I would see two $100 bills on the ground and just pick them up and be like, thanks, God. <laughs> and that just happened again and again and again and again. I remember going in, you had to go to the registrar's office, and you had to get in line, and you had to pay back then. Yeah. Okay. This was like yeah. 19, um, you know, I don't know what year it was, maybe 1993 or 94. Yeah. And I'm in line and I'm paying at the registrar's office and, and, and I'm writing a check and I have no money, you know? And I remember going in and, and just like, what am I doing? And I remember thinking, well, I'm just going to, I just read this book by George Mueller <laughs> and I read this other book by Reese Howells intercessor and it just and, and those things were fueling me and i was like well you know i, I believe god i'm just gonna he's done so much for me already this in this, in this past year like i can trust him with my yeah. college tuition you know yeah. go in write the blank check and I, I write the check and fill it out and hand it to them and i remember shaking and thinking this is a bad check because i don't have any money in my checking account and then i went back to my we were living in an apartment and i had some, several christian friends all living around me and i remember going to them and saying y'all i think i messed up I just wrote a bad check and they were like, well, how much is it? And I was like, you don't want to know. It's like, you know, however much it was at that time. I don't know, maybe a thousand dollars, which was a lot back then. Uh, and still so, um, <laughs> still is. And I remember them just being like, Oh no, well, who did you write it to? And I was like, the university of Georgia. And they were like, Tammy, like, Oh gosh, well, like, we don't even like, cause they were going to help me if it was a hundred dollars or something, but they, <laughs> yeah, you right. know, they were like, okay, we got to pray. <laughs> yeah. So we prayed. And, uh, and I was so nervous and I was like, what happens if you write a bad check? You know, do you go to jail or do you get like, what happens to people? And I don't know, you know, so I'm just praying. And so 
my friend and I, we were invited uh, to go to uh, one of our church members' homes for dinner. And he said, hey, Tammy, come to my house, bring a friend. We've got some steak. You know, why don't you come over for dinner? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. We'd love to come over for dinner. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen to me tomorrow? Let me just have a good dinner tonight. Let me have some steak. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. And so I'm, I'm nervous, but we go over there. And, and so he literally, we, 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 have, we have dinner and we're, we're sitting and talking. And he said, well, I got to be honest. The reason I called you here is I felt like God put you on my heart and I'm supposed to give you something. I just want to hear like, what's going on in your life. Do you have any needs? And I'm thinking, I, I kind of want to wait to see God do a miracle. But in my mind, I'm thinking, do I, do I need to say to him? Does that sound like I tell him I need $1,000? What do I do? I remember I just kind of, unclear what to do and then my friend kind of kicks me out of the table and like tell them and i said well i yes and because he saw me hesitating he saw me kind of flustered and i didn't know what to do and he said tell them and i said well you know this is what happened i said and i told him and he just demanded his wife to start bawling and they just pulled out a check that's already written for a thousand dollars to me And that's how I paid my college tuition, you know? And, and, I, and so I saw that happen. This was so much regularity all the way through college. Mm. It was bizarre, but it didn't feel bizarre at the time. Looking back and, and, and realizing maybe it is bizarre, I think I started figuring it out. It wasn't, the, I remember thinking, why, don't, why doesn't everybody do this? Why don't they all pray for what they need? I don't understand why this is so unusual to everybody. I don't know yeah. why they're making a big deal out of it. I remember mm. thinking that. Mm. And so it was such a common experience for me and, 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 it wasn't because I was awesome or like I'm, I have more faith than other people. It was, I just looked at it as God is faithful mm. and he likes to be believed mm. and he loves to be trusted. Mm. And so God just began putting that in my DNA. Mm. I feel his joy when I trust him. Mm. I um, ended up pretty, uh, maybe, a, maybe a year, uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm close to my end of my junior year by this time. And I went up to, uh, to the campus pastor, Tom, and I said, um, I think that God's calling me to the Christian Peace Corps. Is there such a thing? And he kind of, you know, introduced me to the word missions. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that's kind of, and that's kind of where I heard that word. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I want to do that. And he said, well, you know, you know, you need to probably do something first. Like, let's, let's talk about it. Like, have you heard of this? You know, he told me what seminary it was and said, and I was thinking, you got to be kidding me. I'm just about to graduate. I'm not going to go to school, school for another three years. No, thank you. <laughs> and he kind of told me, you know, and, and you know, you can go to the, you know, the mission field now and it'll be, you know, and it'll be good. I'm sure. But like, it'll be a short trip cause you're not ready, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I remember kind of being offended and being like, what are you talking about? I love Jesus. I love the nations. I love kids. You know, what could um, go wrong? What else is there? <laughs> yeah. What else is there to know? And so come on. But I did end up going and, and, and kind of praying the prayer, God, if, if you provide for me, I'll go, you know. And, and basically, I, I just felt like every single thing, every single step, um, God has been, had been providing for me. And so it continued on through seminary. I ended up going to Asbury Seminary in, in Wilmore, Kentucky, and um, studying intercultural studies, missions, evangelism, those, mm-hmm. um, getting a master's there. And the same kind of thing kept happening whatever I needed. And I told somebody I had, I had never had more than a hundred dollars in my bank account. Mm. And yet money would just come in and go, come in and go. I would have a need. The money would come, it would go and it happened again and again. So I never was sitting on top of anything more than a hundred dollars. And yet I had every single thing met all the way through, all the way through through seminary, three Mm. years. 
Mm. Same kind of thing. Just money would come, and 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 sometimes it would come from people I knew. Sometimes it would come from random places, and I never made my needs known. And um, not that I necessarily um, have anything any problem with that. I think it's totally fine to make your needs known. And I and there are times I've done that in the past, but mm. overall, uh, in that season, especially in in the season to come, I just feel like God wants to show the world that you know we don't need to. I don't know. We don't need to commercialize everything. We can just trust him and so uh i I felt like uh a lot of joy and trusting him it was really i felt intimacy and relationship was i don't know how to explain it but i just felt this joy when i trusted him and so he never let me down and he he consistently covered me all the way through seminary you know and of course in seminary god did a lot of work in my heart and and, and maturing me and growing me and also inner healing and getting healing from my past and 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 just you know um all the things that need to happen before we're ready. And in that season, I, I sensed that God was calling me to Asia. Um, and so I ended up, ended up landing, you know, going there for a short term trip and ended up loving some of it and hating some of it, but felt like that's where I was called full time. And so, I mean, I literally sold everything I had and I had $80 in my pocket and a backpack of my belongings wow. and sold every single item I had and gave away a lot of stuff that I had. And uh, some stuff that was very difficult to give away, you know, and, and, mm. and just, okay, I, you know, let me just, go, you know, there was no putting things in storage or having anybody hold them for me. It just, I just felt like, you know, it was all or nothing kind of thing. And so that's kind of how I ended up over there. And uh, yeah. and then I can tell you what happened after that. But yeah. I mean, it, your story is so George Mueller-esque. I mean, from daily provision, future provision, as you're saying all that, I was just thinking in my mind, you know, in our sort of health, wealth, sort of prosperity, gospel surroundings that we see so often, Mm -hmm. you know, how many people would, are hearing you say that and thinking, gosh, that'd be great, you know, just make it known and then it happens. But it's like the trajectory and the direction that that was leading you on was actually further in, deeper into service to him. You weren't into this for yourself, it wasn't like I'm going to get this money and then I'm going to leave God or I'll just come to him like Santa Claus and ask, you know, just provide this thing and and then leave him on the shelf. But it was like you're saying, like he desires that trust and you were building that yes, yeah. uh, relationship with him in growing in dependence on him to the point that you actually gave up all of your things and went into this mission field. You know, I, I think we do hear stories of great faith of people and God's provision for them. And we, I think we often misinterpret and misunderstand it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad that you're on here to, to help, you know, in some sense, write that understanding yeah. of the provision was really providing of himself and giving you more of him and then taking yes, care yes. of, you know, seek exactly. first the kingdom of God and all these yes. things will be added yes. unto you. But if you're not seeking the kingdom and you're just looking for the adding, it probably won't come, you know. But because that framework is right, this is it's just such a, a wonderful story and such an encouragement. Can we take a quick tangent? Um, because you've brought up Asbury uh, where you studied. And I know that you've recently gone and visited there in Wilmore and all that's going on. And we just had a very brief conversation about it. So if you're okay to just briefly kind of talk about the things that you were seeing um, in this Asbury University revival, because I think there's a lot of connecting of dots here. And and you and I have both seen positive and negative on this. And I understand people's hesitancy 
because there can sometimes be such a strong desire for awakening and revival that they almost force the issue. They insist on it being a certain way. And, and so there are people who are hesitant with, well, let's, you know, we want to see the fruit first. And But I think you had some helpful things to say. So if you can just kind of tell us a little bit about what you saw taking place there, and then we'll pick up back with your story sure. again. But I feel like we're okay. kind of at this point where it feels like a good transition into what's going on sure. in, in Kentucky. Sure. Yeah. So I ended up kind of flying in on day one. I was already scheduled to speak at the seminary. Um, I think the revival started on a Wednesday after a chapel service. And then I was scheduled to speak at the seminary on Thursday. And then again um, on Friday at the, at the university. And so um, I was already scheduled to come in. And so as I flew in and kind of got, you know, landed, I, I saw some messages on my phone that, Hey, there's something kind of cool going on at, at the university. Come check it out. And so um, of course, you know, get to Wilmore and go check it out. <laughs> and so my first impression on day one was just, I mean, it, you know, that time it wasn't super crowded, but there was, you know, a number of people there enjoying. Um, and it was literally one of the most, I don't know how to explain it. But it was one of the most beautiful things that I've experienced in a long, long time. Mm. I really sensed the presence of God, but I sensed the presence of peace. Mm. I would say the way to describe it is just this, the tenderness and the kindness of Jesus just being poured out mm. uh, openly on all of us and, and myself included. I was just, I, it was so beautiful. And then, and I just was there and I, and I spent as much time as I could and all, all the free time I had between this, this between my different, um, you know, things that I had to do uh, my commitments. I was able to spend a lot of time there at the university and um, it was, it was amazing. I saw scripture being read. I saw people being forgiven and confessing, confession and repentance, people being mm. forgiven, people praying for each other. Mm. Um, I saw just nonstop worship, nonstop mm. prayer, mm. and just God was pouring out on everybody. We're all there in the same, we're just receiving the same kind of thing, the peace and the kindness and the gentleness and the tenderness of God being poured out on our hearts. Mm. Um, it was, there was no hype. Yeah. I've been in situations where there's hype. Yeah, and I've seen it. God moves in all different ways yeah, for all different absolutely. people, and so I I feel that there's, you know, we I would never want to ever in a million years put God in a box to determine what or what not constitutes a move of His. Yeah, yeah I've been around the world. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, agree. Yeah, and it's what's funny is all you've described to us are the ordinary means of grace, prayer, exactly, singing, worship, yeah, reading of scripture. There's no hype. No, there was, you know, there's no, there's not even a projector to, to you know, there's no slides with the words on them. There's no. Mm. lights and smoke and fanfare there's no famous names there's not any there's no there's no names you know yeah. um i didn't even i didn't even want to share on on, on friday you know yeah, yeah. Was, this is so beautiful this is so amazing I, I mean this is this is so jesus i was ministered to and i also had the joy of ministering to him in that place mm-hmm. and just mm. i don't know how to explain it but it was beautiful and i yeah. i feel like god actually put something in my dna mm. in that three and a half days you know just um, this, his peace and, 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 um, I don't know, this deep, deep, he just did deep work in me just sitting in my uh, uncomfortable wooden chair and, and he was auditorium yeah. and, and not yeah. only in me, did it in so many people. And there's so many testimonies coming out of that. And also I would say one of the biggest fruits of this have been uh, that I can see is it seems to have produced a worldwide hunger for God. Mm. And isn't that in itself revival? Reaching a, the nations, a corporate hunger for God across the world, you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, I talk to my kids in, in, in Asia, and and they're hungry. It's it's producing hunger in them. Everybody's seeing it. They're all seeing it. You know. Mm. 
And, um, you know, you hear people from Japan and, and Chile and you hear, you know, somebody who was there from Argentina, you hear all these and, and Germany and, and, and you hear all these places that have come there and others that can't come, you know, but have just heard about it. And, and yeah. God's not limited by that, but it's just so interesting to me that this, this, this revival, um, renewal, I would love to see, I mean, I don't know that we can tell what's going to happen in the future, but it definitely has a potential of being an awakening mm. um, for mm. our for our world, and I think social media is actually speeding it along. Yeah, and who knew? Yeah, God can actually use social media. How about that? You know, and the the biggest <laughs> gift I think I can say that I've seen, and then I that I, I feel that might be true is, you know, Generation Z. You know, a lot of my kids are in that generation, and even though they're in Asia, they still share some of those same attributes. But of course, it looks different in every culture. Mm. But, gen, you know, Gen Z, let's say ages 10 through 25, give or take three or four years, right? Yeah. The biggest thing they struggle with, you know, is is depression and anxiety and loneliness and, and all of these things. And, and so isn't it beautiful and fitting that God's coming in mm. with, and giving peace? Yeah, It's just so beautiful. And, uh, and I can't wait to see what happens. And I'm, I sense a hunger in mm. the body of Christ. Mm. Amen. Wow. That's, again, a perfect segue back into your story, because now we're talking about blessing the nations, serving the nations, obviously a call that God had put on your heart. Uh, so you were telling us you you visited Asia, uh, a particular region, and, and um, you saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so what was it that sort of confirmed things for you, uh, that this is where, where God wanted you? Right. And so I ended up um, um, going to Asia and, and really loving it. Uh, that was probably in 98. And I, in that season, I did some volunteer work. I did some research as well. I kind of researched, uh, actually, um, I kind of had a vision to start a street kids center. And it was in that season that I was researching different ministries with children in all of, in all of that region and visiting them and spending time and interviewing kids who had grown up in different settings and um, mm-hmm. And I kind of came to the conclusion, and I guess really God just spoke to me, and it was through mm. a little girl actually mm. that I knew, and it was, she doesn't need a drop-in center; she needs you know something more. Mm. And so that's kind of led me to kind of um, join with two other sisters uh, of that uh, country, and mm. the three of us together kind of decided to start a kind of a model children's home. Mm. We use the language and the heart of family. And it doesn't make any sense if I talk about it. I guess you'd have to see it to believe it. Right. But, um, well, the very first thing we did, the same thing applied. I, I, you had mentioned earlier about how, you know, when you, it was me believing God for my, you know, my school books. And then it was my tuition. And then it was, you know, there was other stories in there, like a, a car actually was another story, which you, we didn't talk about. There's been different, different things that got it done in all this time. and just believing yeah. God for these amazing things. But then it became, Okay, God, I, I believe that you're telling us, the three of us, to start some kind of uh, ministry for children at risk. And and, mm. and then he was sharpening the vision. They need more than just a drop-in center. Um, and then it was believing God for them, believing God provision for them. And so I can remember mm. sitting and praying uh, with these two sisters, and we kind of came up with a small budget. Okay, we can start something, and we probably would need about $2,000 to get started just for the first couple of months. And um, just taking, you know, one or two children that, that God pointed out to us that really needed needed help. And, and, and um, we we did kind of decide to take in children who needed a home. And um, 
if they have a living, you know, uh, mother or father, then they don't need to be with us. Yeah. They need to have, it needs to be extreme cases only. Yeah. Um, and so, and if they were able to be adopted, they didn't need to be with us. You know, there was no, it was kind of like more of a extreme circumstances. It's kind of what, is what our heart was to do. Mm. And in that season we made a budget and it was, um, we came up with about $2,000. And I remember walking to the email cafe and uh, emailed, the mission organization that I was with at the time. And they, and I said, Hey, I know this is crazy, but is there, I know I probably have about more like $50. Maybe I have a hundred in my account, but is there any chance that somebody would have randomly just put in $2,000? Uh, Cause I need it. And I'm going to start this. And I feel like God's given me the green light. And I feel and this has been months. Now it wasn't that we just went ahead and started it. This was right. building up over a year. Yeah. And then this particular part of praying it into existence and, 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 and meeting and talking was it was it was several months. Is there any chance that I would happen to have two thousand dollars? And they immediately it was it was my evening and their morning and they immediately emailed back and said, Wow, you won't believe this, but somebody literally the, sent us a check for you two thousand dollars yesterday. <laughs> and it was somebody I didn't even know, somebody I've never met. And and so that's how we, so this, believe you know, you, you make that step into believing God just for yourself and then believing God for, you know, ministry and for, and for a nation and for, and for, and for, you know, people and that God puts in our path. Mm. And so that's kind of how we started. And so we kind of keep going in this vein of just believing God and, and God just keeps providing for every new child that kind of came our way. God would provide them the means to be able to take care of them. Mm. And it happened again and again and again with every new child, and and and, and so many miracles we've seen in this stage of God's hand, and just really clearly providing for us in all kinds of creative ways, not just financially, but in all and in, in, in lots of other ways as well. And so, you know, we ended up starting the home. And at that time, we had two children, and two became four, and four became you know, ten, and before long, you know, I mean, over the years now, that was way back in the day, that was 1999, uh, early on in January, this is, you know, but over the years since, uh, we've taken in um, 46 that we mm. that have been with us and, and we've raised, we've had more, but some of them have been reunited with family, but we've, but the 46 are kind of the ones that have, um, that we've raised from the, from the, from the, from the early stages till now. And these are the extreme cases, not, uh, people that could uh, be adopted, not people that could have been, had a parent that was living, surviving. So this, yeah, these, these are, are these hmm. are more of the extreme cases, and um, uh, we have had some some children that that were able to be re- reunified after say you know there was a, a young young um, boy and um, his mom had some s- trouble with substance abuse and his father passed away and so he was in our home for about a year. Hmm. So the mother was able to get on her feet and then he was reunified. So there are some cases like that, and there are some other similar type cases. But overall, the kids that we've raised from the beginning were you know, cases of just really, really needing, um, you know, major intervention. Mm. And so, and it was, it, it, and we, we, we raised them as our own. And so the, the, the caretakers that were with me, that my sisters that were with me from the beginning are the same ones that watched them get married, held their first child in their arms. And, you wow. know, and, and so there's, there's a sense of continuity and, and uh, commitment and um, consistency, which is so desperately needed when you, when you deal with um, children and teenagers, mm. you know, and so, but we just, we, yeah, we've had lots of, we've had lots of miracles and a lot of things happen and we've, we've seen God provide for us, but that's kind of how we started. And now you fast forward and now, you know, my older kids are married. Uh, some of them are married. Some of them have children. Uh, we had grandchild number nine born uh, about a week and a half ago. And so 
I love the uh, way you talk about it. It's these are your kids. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. They're mine, one hundred percent. And I might. I was able to, uh, uh, my youngest is with me right now. I was able to legally adopt her kind of through the court systems there and that, mm-hmm. and that nation because of some, some, I don't know how to put it, maybe some loopholes in the system. Uh, I was able to do that, um, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to legally adopt the others, but our home and our trust is legally, uh, are there legal guardians? But, you know, we, we would not be able to legally use the word adoption, but yes, they've been adopted a hundred percent. Those are my kids. I mean, I, um, yes, I mean, they're my children and we love them. All of us, we love them to death. And and, yeah. Would you be able to share a couple of some of the stories of some of your kids? Um, Obviously we don't want too much detail because you probably need some protection, but even the ones that have grown up that, you know, are now providing grandchildren, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, some of their stories of what they've come through and, and, and just Mm -hmm. again, how God's provided. Yeah. I'll tell you a couple of stories. Um, one of my favorite stories to tell is about one of our daughters. She was brought to us when she was about four years old and uh, she was brought to us by social workers mm-hmm. and her mother was in a uh, kind of an HIV kind of um, almost like a hospice care center, but it wasn't exactly hospice. It wasn't that maybe last stages, but it was definitely full blown with, with, uh, with symptomatic AIDS. Yeah. And so she was kind of uh, brought to us through her birth mother as well as the social workers and you know, and our heart breaks for those those cases for sure. And so we try to maintain um, relationship with those um, families as, as much as we can. You know, mm. and so um, she brought her to us, and um, she was in our home about six months, and just loved it. it. Did really well. We were, you know, we just enjoyed her so much. And of course, she was the baby of the family at that time, so she was the queen. Um, <laughs> probably about six, eight months later, the birth mother shows back up at our home and says, you know. Um, I need her back. I need her back. And I have uh, someone who's going to buy her because of course, you know, I have a son also and I need to provide for him. And, and the culture that we're from, you know, sons yep. are elevated over daughters. Yep. And so there's a sense of like, we should have understood that we, of course, our mouths are just falling open and we're like, wait, what did you just say? And uh, of course we had authorities involved and we tried different things, but um, in the end of the day, she, you know, it, it was her birth mother, and and of course the authorities sided with with that. That was all that that was the issue for them. And so we, you know, everybody was trying to get involved, but there was nothing. There was really nothing to do. Either we cooperate or we lose our our home, our ministry. Yeah. Um, which has all these other kids in it. Yeah. And so you know, we just heartbroken. Just watch, you know, her mother just take her, and uh, um, you know, she's going somewhere about six or seven hours away by bus, at least. And so I remember standing at the gate, just, just weeping, and oh, God, what are you doing? And I sensed him saying to me, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Like, uh, I'm asking you, like, what are you doing? You know, and there's a sense of like, um, and then he just said, you know, fight for her. And I remember thinking or praying, oh, God, we, we have fought for her. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, come on, Tammy fight for her and i was like oh oh yeah what am i talking about so you know and then just rallying everybody to pray and so we rallied mm-hmm. all the kids at that time you know we had um, mm-hmm. more than maybe 30 kids and we just you know all ages you know, four-year-olds all the way up to you know 15 year olds at that time you know and 16 year old and, and just god would you do a miracle would you bring her back would you bring her back this is not your best for her i'm convinced 100 mm-hmm. this is not your best for her 
And so in that vein, we're praying unashamedly, God, nothing short of bringing her back to our gate, God, bring her back here. Bring her back, God. Calls her mother to be convicted. Calls her mother to realize how wrong this is. Whatever you need to do, God, do whatever it takes to bring this child back to us. And not sometime in the future, but like bring her back now. And so we're praying and we just keep praying. We, we end up fasting a lot of times. We fast at night. We, we skip a nighttime meal. And so we're fasting at night, a lot of us. Um, and I say, you know, the big kids, but they were like, you know, eight, nine yeah. years old. Those yeah. are my big kids, <laughs> you know. And so we were fasting and praying and, and the staff, all of us, the, the team were, were just, you know, and, uh, I had friends that were helping me at the time that were there as, as, a, as, as staff members. A couple of friends were helping and there was probably a, a group of us. I don't remember how many people, but we're just praying and praying. And everywhere you look, there's pockets of people praying. There's three little four-year-olds that, no, God, bring her back. You know, and, and then there's, um, you know, teenagers and then the whole family. And then there's, you know, 10-year-olds all praying. It just constantly was was on our hearts for that next, you know, few days. And a few days extended into like a week, a week and a half, almost two weeks. At some point, and, you know, of course, we're getting weary and like, God, you got to bring her back. And, uh, and that's a long time to pray, you know, to rally people to pray, especially a bunch of kids. Yeah. And so I remember one of my older sons, my oldest son actually coming up to me and saying, we can eat tonight. We don't have to fast anymore. And he was like pretty prophetic. <laughs> so we tend to listen to him. And so, cause when he says things that they come to pass. And so I'm looking at him, I said, okay, well, what do you, what do you think you got to say? He said, I think I saw her walking back with her mother um, back here and Tammy, you saw her it was before your birthday and you're the first one that saw them and you were crying. And I saw that. And, and, and I, and so I think that I think it's done. I think we just have to eat and thank God. So we thank God and we ate dinner that night. My birthday was in three days. And so, you know, um, two days later after he tells me that uh, sure enough, I'm outside somewhere and I'm looking out the street and I see a mother and a daughter walking figure. They get closer and I could find out it was them. And of course we ran and hugged them, hugged them and, and, and he cried and, and brought them inside. And, and I just, we were talking to the, to the birth mother and she was, you know, she was upset. She wasn't a bad woman. She, she was, she was a very desperate woman, right? Nobody wants to do that. Mm. And, um, but she said, I don't know what happened, but this big cloud, it pushed me back. It chased me back all the way back to your gate. And she said, I was about to, you know, let her go. And I, and it pushed me back all the way here and I had to bring her back. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't have any peace till I reached your gate just now. And so that's how we got her back. And now she's in her third year of college and she's amazing. And she's an amazing young woman. And, and I think about her story and, and uh, that's what I'm talking about. We've seen a lot of miracles that those kind of things happen. I mean, I could, I could easily tell you 10 more without even hesitating, just jumping from one to the next to the next of God's sovereign hand intervening for us. And it's always linked with this contending prayer and this, this idea of just, um, you know, and, and God just loves to, I mean, God loves to be trusted, but he also loves to move on behalf of his kids mm. and especially those, um, you know, who are a bit more vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. So that's one story. I have more. <laughs> I mean, I could listen to this all day. It's just, uh, it's powerful. It's, it's emotional. It's, um, you know, I think we're all journeying with you as you tell those stories. I wonder if you could tell us, so you're, you're back in the States. Yes. What, mm -hmm. what has led you back to the U.S. and what does your daily life look like in this moment? So the country that I was serving in, uh, I'd been there, like I said, about, you know, 23 and a half years. And um, the country that I was serving in is, is a close country, 
Christian ministry is not really allowed uh, by people coming from other places. Right. And I kind of really tried to stay under the radar as much as I could. And I think that was you know smart and that was helpful. But at the end of the day, um, I guess they kind of got wind of it uh, after 23 and a half years. And they started questioning me, interrogating me. And, um, and it was really, really rough. And that was about a year and a half ago. And this lasted for several months. And it was a um, um, pretty, pretty uh, horrible experience, obviously. Um, and uh, they ended up kind of, um, basically telling me, you know, you're not welcome in this country anymore. We know what you're doing and it's a threat to national security and uh, you're not welcome here anymore. And so they actually um, kind of forced me to leave with my youngest daughter. Mm. And so that was a year and a half ago and it was devastating. It was all the things you can imagine that it would be. Um, um, I still have young ones. I, I don't have any little kids at home, but I, you know, my youngest here is 14. She had just about to turn 13 at that time. And uh, it was a, just a few a week before her birthday. And um, I still have at home presently, you know, kids who are still in high school. We have 10 kids in high school and, and, and in college. Mm. And in college in, in that country, you do tend to live at home with your family. Mm. You don't necessarily live in dorms or anything. So our kids are still with us. And then, but I also have some young, you know, young adults, many young adults there. And I have a, uh, that are single and young and, you know, just starting out, you know, launching out into, mm. into careers and ministry and other things. And then I have quite a few married children as well. And so, it was devastating. And that's kind of what landed me here in the U.S. I will say this, you know, I told you how I left. I almost laughed about this one time. I said to go there all those years ago with $80 and a backpack. And I came back with like two suitcases, you know, one for me, one for my daughter, and maybe a, a couple hundred dollars to my name. Because I mean, I left everything. I, my whole life was there. My, you know, I had, I had an apartment. I had a car. I had, a, you know, a dog. We, I live, we all live together, you know, in this, in this area. And so uh, I left, you know, all my worldly belongings, you know, obviously that's nothing, but, but I mean, the idea that I, that it was like a complete traumatic on every level, like, you yeah. know, every single piece was left behind as, as opposed to, you know, it, it's different. I know that people, some people are kicked out and I've had friends that have been kicked out and it's just, it's different. I mean, they left with their family you know, yeah. for me, it was like you leaving. had to leave it your was, family. Yeah, I had to leave my family, and it's hard for people to understand that unless they've been there. I think those that have been there understand, but but it's you know, well, you know, it's your ministry. Well, no, it's not. I never looked at it as ministry. It was actually mm. my. I mean, I know what it is technically. They're right, yeah. but there's a sense of like as uh, for me, I was all in. It was family, and as much as I was trying to be a blessing to them, like they've been a blessing to me. Like God gave them to me, mm. and God gave me to them. It's not that I was there serving them. It was a, a mutual, uh, it's a family, and there was mm. there was they they they're everything to me. I love them to death, and and um, it wasn't a ministry. I didn't clock out at eight p.m. or something like that. I mean, right. I mean, I'm taking Check care out. of sick kids. I'm I'm yeah. feeding in the middle of the night. I'm 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 you know running kids here and there, and and it's they're my family and my children and and our people and our community. And so I kind of ended up having to be forced to come back to the states, and um, I'm devastated as you can imagine. Um, not offended with God because he had done so much things inside of me to, to help build this foundation of having an unoffendable heart, no matter what, mm -hmm. but definitely, you know, heartbroken for sure. And so even uh, we talked earlier about Asbury at the revival, it's one of the things that Lord did. He kind of just did this. Um, he also was just, you know, even healing me of that, even in a, to a deeper mm -hmm. level, to a greater mm -hmm. level, even while I was there and, and during those uh, three and a half days, I ended up kind of coming back, um, if you can imagine literally me and my daughter, she's 12 at the time and, you know, and two suitcases and 
I don't have health insurance. I didn't have a retirement plan. My retirement plan was my children. I thought I was going to live there forever. I didn't have anything in the States. Like there's no warehouse with my stuff in it. You know, like, no, like, you know, it was devastating in so many ways, if you can imagine. And so coming here, um, my, my churches and my people, they did rally around me. There were so many blessings and it was a really soft place to land mm. in this heartbreaking time. So I, so I'm very thankful for that. It, the church, the body of Christ overall, and, as mm-hmm. well as my churches, they all kind of really blessed me and took care of me. But um, at the same time, it was just heartbreaking in so many ways. And uh, on every level you can imagine, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, my children, but it's, 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 you know, material things, which don't mean a ton to me, but, you know, there are some things that kind of are there. And then, you know, my dog and, you know, you know, just like, just like starting over, just had to start over with my daughter and trying to help her. And of course she's not even from this country. So everything's new know, for her. She, yeah. Everything's new for her. And so mm-hmm. the, the, the leap that she had to make, and she's extraordinary. She's done it with such grace and she's actually better than me at, at it. So I actually feel like she's adjusted better than I have. So um, we're here for a year and a half now, and um, we're actually going through her immigration right now. And so we've applied uh, about a year and a half ago, but we applied right when we got here. Mm. And um, we still haven't progressed uh, to the immigration system enough for her to even um, to travel outside of the States Mm. at this point. And we're waiting on the immigration stuff to come through, I guess. uh, So, so while I'm here, my heart is just to, you know, I think be a blessing to whoever I can be, you know, and, 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 you know, I think my first year was all about me just kind of like healing and, and like catching my breath maybe. Mm. And also just kind of like um, healing. And then I think now, like, as I move into now, you know, six months, eight, seven months into my, into my time of my second year here, I think God's kind of moved me to a place of just being able to, to serve and to help and to bless anybody I can, however Mm -hmm. I can. Mm. And so I'm, I'm trying to be open to those opportunities. And um, I did start a, a quote ministry slash business called Mom of Many. And mm. um, um, and that's just something I feel like God's given me different some insight into raising children in creative ways. And uh, I think that maybe just a fresh approach. And I, I think that's kind of one of the things I'm doing. And then the other thing I'm doing is, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but the other thing I'm doing is just like um, – I'm looking forward. I really sense that my time, you know, I have tried to get back to that country actually. And I, I tried in different, different ways and it, it, every way fell. And yeah. so I've had reunions with my kids. We've gone over to other countries that were nearby and had reunions. And so mm-hmm. we have more planned in, in the future, but my heart's to get back over to that side of the world. And so I'm looking at a couple of locations that are very nearby. And I, I would love to start, um, um, God's given me a vision to start, um, cross-cultural worker slash missionary kind of guest house for people to come to and get refreshed mm-hmm. and, and get, and get encouraged and also stay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and uh, for, for those people on that side of the world in Asia to be able to come to, you know, um, that's in my heart pretty strong. I've always wanted to do that. And so like, this could be an opportunity for me to do that. So when her immigration comes through, that's one of my desires is to start a, a mission um, respite house, rest house, ref- whatever you want to call it, I would love mm. to do that. And that's mm. something I can, that kind of right in my wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I'm, I'm looking at that as an, as an option, but uh, again, waiting for her immigration things to come through. But in the meantime, I talk with my kids every day. I talk with several kids a day on, on zoom. Yeah. Um, I try to keep a handle on all the different ministries. We have a lot of things going on. It wasn't just the home. It was also one of my kids, you know, has started a school. Three of my kids started a cafe. It's booming. Wow. Um, another one of my kids, uh, two of my kids started a small business, kind of a, a virtual services business. 
we have a family support network where we support single mothers with, that they would come to us asking for us to take in their children. And we would say, why, why would you do, you love your child, what your child should be with you. And so kind of a creative approach to children in crisis. And so we have about 150 graduates of that program. And we have uh, presently um, almost 300 that are in that program and, and uh, moms and their children, single mothers, widows. And so we kind of like support them in school and financially support them in creative ways, those who are in extreme circumstances in our community. And we have some other things too. We have some after school centers and a tailoring center and a few other things going on, but that's the gist of it. And, uh, and so keeping my hand on the pulse of those things, but, but really just keeping in touch with my kids every day. And then also being what I was, you know, it's so funny. I got here and somebody told me I can get some financial assistance from church for, for camp. And I said, well, why would, okay, I, I hear you, but, but this that you're telling me is for single mothers. And they were like, Tammy, you're a single mom. And I said, <laughs> you never thought Am of it. I? I? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Oh wow. Technically I guess I am. And it was so funny. I'd never, th- I'd been here. I'd never even thought about myself in that, in that light, not even once. And so, so, but uh, it's just kind of a funny aside, but, the, but I'm just trying to embrace all that God has for me in this season. And, and, uh, but one of the things I've started is this mom of many kind of um, parent coaching yeah. business slash ministry that, that I meet with parents and just to help them problem solve in creative ways. Well, and let's talk about that as you've taken care of, you know, 46 children over 20 some odd years. Um, and, and most of them have, they come from traumatic backgrounds. They were your extreme cases. You know, how did you even get your arms around that to begin with as a ministry? I mean, you kind of talked about uh, providing of the financial needs, but now you got to think about the, the, the needs of the yes. children from a psychological perspective, from a spiritual yeah. perspective. Yeah. And how do you begin to kind of put those, yeah. those wheels together? I think a lot of it was learned as I go. And yeah. so with that, I made a lot like of mistakes. Parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that, there, I made a lot of mistakes in those early years. I think there's like a, I, sometimes I joke with some of my older kids and say, they're like, you're, you know, you're so easy now, the, the younger ones. And I'm like, yeah, every, every parent is like that. I think, you know, um, but I think that was, you know, uh, had a, a much more mistakes in my early years and then, and, and learned as I, as I grew and, 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 uh, and changed. But um, I think that, there's a ton of grace from God in that season. And I think I had lots of people around me that, that were helping me in different creative ways. And so it wasn't like me alone trying to raise children. We have a team of people in a million years. I could never do it, you know? So where I fall short, there's somebody else that has strengths in that area and where they might be weak. Maybe I have strengths in that area. So there was a, there's a great team of people that were helping me, but um, I was definitely the main nurturer and the main like um, party giver. <laughs> I was the one that would plan the fun stuff, but I was also, you know, pretty strict too in, in my expectations as well, but probably also the, the main counselor too. Um, but um, I, uh, um, I think God gave me a ton of wisdom, actually. I, I just supernatural wisdom. I can't point to a certain book. I read, I did read books, but I can't point to any certain book that was life changing and raising kids. But um, I did, I did take a one course that was helpful, you know, early on about um, the connected child by Dr. Karen Purvis and things like that, just small things like that, that kind of helped give me insight as I grew. Mm. But um, um, the truth is I actually don't know how it all came together. <laughs> it's yeah. maybe God just had an incredible mercy for us. <laughs> and, but we do definitely believe in connection. And um, I personally believe that I interviewed a lot of children who grew up in, in, in children's homes in, in that season before I started. And when I say children, I mean that they're all adults and they had uh, grown up in children's homes and, mm. 
they all voiced the same concerns and the same things, every single one of them. I'm talking about a 70 year old woman and a, and a 21 year old young man, you know, mm-hmm. I interviewed young people all over the country and, and married people and older people who grew up in those kind of settings. Yeah. And they all kind of voiced this idea of like, I don't have a home. I'm an orphan. Interesting. If I come here and do this, like, and I start some kind of, you know, ministry, you know, quote unquote home, and any of my kids feel that way, then I've, then I've failed. Right. And so I just made a lot of decisions based on all the research that I did of what not to do. I went into all these homes and I saw all these things and I actually started making a list of things I never wanted to do. And so it kind of helped shape me to kind of, okay, this is what I do want to do. Every kid is going to be valued. We're going to make sure that they're not raised with the idea that, oh, at least they're better here than the streets. I want them to be able to be compared with any middle-class child in our community. So that means the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. Sports, they want to join cricket. They want to join football. They want to join, you know, dance. If like any opportunity that they, anything inside of them, you know, let's give them every opportunity that we would our own children. And so that's kind of how I, 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 we went ahead with it. Like, what would I do for my own kids, my own flesh and blood, you know? And so that's kind of how we kind of looked at it. Yeah. You talked about the different roles that are played between you and your team. Uh, and we know that within a family, the father holds a very important role. Yes, so your yes. homes, you it's funny that you talked about in the interview process of all these people and they never felt like they have a home. Well, you, you call your home K-Homes, right? Right. So who comes in and, and fills that father role within the, the yeah. K-Home structure? I mean, it's interesting because... Uh, Obviously, you know, it would be wonderful if I had had married somebody with a similar calling and, and he was able to provide that role. And that never happened. Yeah. And so I remember some people saying, you shouldn't do this because the kids don't have, you know, there's no father figure. So you shouldn't be doing this at all. You should stop. And I, was, I remember thinking, are you saying that they should be like on the streets alone because there's no father figure? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, you know, so I remember thinking, I get it. They need one. I'm with you 100%. But and all I know to do is pray. Mm. And ask God, you know, to provide one and provide people to fill that role mm-hmm. and, and, and for he himself to also make himself you know, known. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but that's yeah. kind of where we came from. So we, we did have men that came in, uh, friends of mine that would come in and spend the season with us. And whenever that was available, they would pour into our, our young men, especially and, and mm-hmm. as well as our girls, but especially our young men. Yeah. And we did have a, um, a male staff and his wife that were with us that took care of the, uh, the teenage boys at one season. And so... There were people who filled that role for seasons, yeah. But there wasn't necessarily one person that filled that role from A yeah. to Z, you know. And so, um, in that setting, we had I, mean, we, I did have a, a you know dear friend would come in, and, and I can credit some of them with turning young men's lives around who were kind of like wow. heading down the wrong way. Yeah, a friend of mine who came in and just taught my kids uh, how to play soccer, and he was a soccer coach, and he would just for us. And of course, we have a soccer team. We had two soccer teams that many kids. Right. right. And so, so he came in and just taught the guys how to play soccer. And, and then he spent time with them and would work out with them and talk with them. And he would use it as a time to teach them these things. And he, I would really credit him with really turning a couple of my boys lives around in the right mm-hmm. direction. And, and uh, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and so God did fill the gap here and there when needed and, and God himself, I think just poured out his grace on my, on my kids and, mm-hmm. as, as well. But that's not to say they won't have problems. Yeah. It's not to say that, there's not any effect from growing up without a father. Of course there is. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, all of us that have grown up without a father would have some kind of effect, you know, there'd be some mm-hmm. kind of negative effects from that. Mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, we have to just trust God to heal those wounds and to help them, you know, 
I think that we tried in every single way to, to lead them to a place where they would really experience God as father. And I think that uh, most of them actually really have. Mm. Um, and so, of course, it would be ideal for them to have a, a dad figure as it is for all of us. But at the end of the day, um, he did do that through people, through the body of Christ. Mm. Mm. But um, at the end of the day, also, he did it just through himself. Mm. Yeah. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. I'm sure some of them are still experiencing that. Yeah. 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 Much like you did. Right. Your ministry, mom of many, you mentioned that you sort of help couples and families as they're seeking sort of biblical counseling and wisdom and insight and in, in how to parent well. What sort of some of the models that you use, your approach to how you do that with uh, with some of those families? Every family is different and every, every family has right. unique needs. Um, I'm, you know, one thing that I try to do is just like, listen. And so I would listen and I would try to find out, you know, what's going on, you know, what's going on in their hearts and their lives and how can I help them? And so one of the first things that I think I try to do is help them provide a structure for their family. Here's what I find. I find that most families in the U.S., if we're not careful, actually are not that intentional. They just kind of let life happen. Yeah. And so wherever the current is going, wherever the river is going, that's where their boat is going. Wow. There's not an intentionality. And it's not that they don't want to be intentional. It's that life just has a way of taking over, doesn't it? And so the busyness, the hurriedness, maybe the demands of life. And so they kind of know what they want in terms of what kind of children they want to raise and what kind of parent they want to be, but they don't necessarily connect the dots of how to get there. Yeah. Putting it into practice kind of thing. Exactly. Like practical. I saw I'm really big on practical things to help, you know, for example, if your end game is to produce a major league baseball player with your son, then going to, you know, five practices a week and, you know, weekend games makes sense. But if that's not, if your end game is to raise a, a young man who loves the Lord and loves his family and is confident and, um, and feels connected and um, is kind and loving and solid, I don't know that five practices a week and, and, and weekend games is actually the way to go. It's like mm. intentionality, right? Mm. So what they say they want and then how their life, how their, where their boat is going is a different direction. Yeah. And so I try to help them get back in that right direction. Yeah. That, that's the kind of analogy I would like to use, but yeah. uh, just like whatever, you know, what's your end game and how can we first identify where you want to go and what you're desiring in your, in your family and let me help you get there. Yeah. Cause it's the, the way we uh, segment our time, the, it, it speaks to our children of what we value of what's mm-hmm. important to us. And so you're right, the, the sort of the sports analogy always works well. You know, do your, you know, if you're practicing games all the time, this must mean a lot to mom and dad, right? Right. It'd be an unspoken thing, even if it really isn't even your intention, but, but unspoken, that's what's being conveyed to them. Exactly. I've heard from others who know of your ministry that K Homes is one of the most strict and disciplined environments, and yet, the children know that they are very loved, and I think we've heard that um, in your story. How do you accomplish that? You know, we have a lot of young parents that are listening to this. Uh, we have grandparents that are listening to this. We have young people, who are, you know, we have all the spectrum that are listening to this. But I think, you know, those that want to pour into kids, you know, how do you take that balance of the consistent discipline mm-hmm. while also making that connection on a heart level? How do you kind of walk out that balance? Because mm-hmm. we tend to see it in the extremes, right? It's the it's yeah. just 
full on discipline or it's the full on, just let them go their yeah. way kind of thing. Exactly. And I tell people sometimes, you know, love is this, is a coin, right? If, if you're looking at love as a coin, you know, heads, heads and tells, there is one side that's all games and fun and vacations and gifts and hugs and kisses and snuggles and, you know, uh, celebrations. And then the other side might be, you know, rules and boundaries and guidelines yeah. and, and consequences. And, yeah. and so like, you can't have one without the other, either you have, entitled spoiled kids if you give them you know all of one and or you right. have scared zero confidence zero connected kids if you do the other you know yeah. and, and and so it, it, neither one of those approaches is healthy to me and so i don't know that we would be the strictest uh, but i would say we definitely have discipline and we definitely have um it's kind of like this the kids kind of know what's expected of them and they tend to just rise up to their expectations i don't yeah you know, and of course they don't all do that. And of course they're not all perfect. And of course they, everybody has bad days and good days, including us. But at the end of the day, everyone does know that they're loved. And one way we do that is just through connection. And so I think I'm super intentional because we had so many kids of different ages over the years. And so I think for me, I had to learn to be extremely, extremely like intentional of like taking each one out mm. and being like, this is what I love about you. This is what I like about you. And then mm. praying with them and talking with them. And mm. this is what I think about you. When I look at you, this is how I feel towards you. And just like almost trying to model that because I want them to know that's what God thinks about mm. what he thinks about them, what his heart is for them. And to you know, I love how, you know, if it's a small little boy, I love how fast you are. You're such a fast runner. But you know what I really love about you, man? You're just awesome. I just love your heart. I just like you for you. And, um, you know, and then just like, you know, just pouring into them that, that truth, you know, that unconditional love. And then, you know, praying with them and praying for them. And genuinely, I enjoy them. So I think they see that when they see my face, when they come around, I'm like, oh, man, I, you know, that each one is my favorite mm. when I'm with them. Whoever I'm with at that moment is my absolute favorite. And mm. I, I just thoroughly enjoy them. And so I think that helps. I think being in extremely intentional and in connection is one of the keys. I've had friends of my kids' parents in Asia who want to come. I had one little one little boy come up and say, um, so do both my parents need to die to come in this family? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was like, Oh no, baby. No, <laughs> he was real, he was real young. He didn't, he didn't, yeah. know, he wasn't, he didn't mean anything by it, but I, yeah. I think I kind of freaked out. And, uh, I was like, You're going to get a reputation. Thinking, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, because like he, he felt seen and loved when he came over to visit mm. and our home was like the hub for people to come visit and hang out right. and all the friends would come to us, you know? And so I think that their parents and his in particular, for example, they have, you know, they have three kids. They, they never, he never felt intentionally loved by his parents, mm. but they, they were good parents Yeah, and they did love him, but he didn't feel that intentionality. He wasn't getting his love tank full and because life was just taking them where it was going and they just were in for the ride. And so yeah. I didn't see that intentionality. And I, I think that we have a lot of good parents in the U S too, but sometimes we just forget to be intentional and I think that would be the biggest need of the hour is I'm trying to help people. Hey, let me help you. Let's define what your heart is and your goal, your, your desires. And let me help you get from here to there. What yeah. are some practical things you can do? Because there are some really practical, easy approaches to take. And I've learned that just from being in Asia with so many kids. When we talked about the Asbury revival, you had mentioned that the Gen Z generation, one of their biggest issues is the whole anxiety Issue. Do you mm -hmm. think that that stems from a lack of intentionality from parents? I think it probably stems from a lot of things. I mean, I think about, you know, the world they were born into, right? You, you think about, it was like post 911, right? Mm -hmm. 
they were brought into that world. And I think about um, the parenting styles that evolve each generation. You talk about Generation X and how we were outside and you know all day long. It came only came on inside when the when the streetlights came on, kind of thing. And right. and then you had the next generation, you know, the millennials. And then I think part of it uh, um, is is a way that just children are raised. I think part of it does have to do with lack of intentionality, lack of connection. I think sometimes parents mistakenly and the efforts to give their children everything, forget to mm-hmm. give them themselves. Uh, yeah. And so I think that happens a lot in this. And I think that the kids do feel disconnected from their families, for sure. I've talked to a lot of them, and they do. They feel disconnected. I've never heard one young person complain, I wish my parents would have signed me up for more basketball lessons. No, it's like, you know, they want connection. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want game nights and family nights, and they want to know that they're loved, and they want those one-on-ones, and they want those, those things that I do with my kids, you know, and, I think that's part of it. I also think it has to do with um, social media and the easy access that we have and un- unfettered access many kids do have. The social media is, is causing uh, mm. rampant anxiety. Mm. Um, I think COVID and, and you know schools being locked down and all the, all the fear and heightened everything in that season mm. was really damaging to our kids too. And so all these young people in Gen Z are kind of products of all that. Yeah. You know, and so that's kind of... Um, I'm sure. I'm sure there's other reasons which I could. I don't even know. I'm sure a sociologist would do a better job of describing why it's there. But I, I think there's been a lot of research that has said that Gen Z has suffered more anxiety and depression than any other generation. Mm. And um, I'm not sure what all the reasons are, but I'm sure that's some of them for mm. sure. Well, as you think about you know your legacy with your children and now your grandchildren, what is that legacy of faith that you want to leave with them? How do you pass that on? What are the ways and the means? And I know we've talked a lot about, you know, obviously the intentionality of knowing them. But in terms of like a legacy of faith, how do you instill that in them and, and, yes. and then see that pouring through from one generation down to the next? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, oh, there's a, that's a, that's a lot of answers to that question. But for me, um, really intentional discipleship. I think sometimes we think as parents, especially in the U.S., I've seen it. Like we take them to church, they go to youth group, they go to VBS, you know, and yeah, that's- Or a Christian that's, school. Or a Christian school. And they kind of just assume that it'll get taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, I'm, I'm equally intentional on that as I am in everything else. And so in our home, we had devotions, you know, several times a week, a couple times a week, three times a week. But we don't necessarily stick to that. Sometimes we just, you know, take a break from it. Sometimes we don't want to be- give them the impression that we have to be like religious and have these rules. But we also have uh, fun things like when we have like, we'll have like, sometimes we have campfire um, prayer and we'll just pray for each other around the campfire. And, mm. and God pours out actually prophetic words in, in my kids and it's bizarre and, and they don't even know what they're doing, but it's, it's, it's amazing. And people have come and, and experienced that. One time we had a campfire worship with a team that had visited and I had, you know, kids that have gone up to that team and said things that were just, um, would blow your mind. They're hearing from God. I mean, they've gone and said things like, oh, I, Auntie, I felt like God told you to go ahead and start um, that ministry that you want to in, in Nepal. And then, you know, a friend of mine is like, what? Did you tell them? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, and then, and then and sure enough, they've been praying about whether or not they should start a ministry in Nepal, you know, and they've been praying about that for a year, wow. you know. And so it's just been, we've, we've seen, so we do creative things like campfire, prayer times. We also do some fasting prayer nights every now and then on, on, on a once a, not every week, but every now and then. And then we um, also invite them into our lives um, in prayer. So if we need something, the kids know, hey guys, we're praying. For example, we needed a bus. Uh, we were, we had a lot of kids. 
and I put a picture of a bus and I stuck it on the wall just right there with tape and said, let's pray for a bus, guys. We prayed for a bus every day for about three or four months. And around the four or five month mark, uh, a man calls me and says, I was just thinking about you and I really, really don't know why, but I really have a desire to buy a bus for you. And that's how we got our bus. And so we invite them in. Add to it our to the list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so many more like that. This, but I mean, like so many more crazy things. But, but um, um, you know, just just inviting them in. And even I've done so much as to have devotions with them at night. Sometimes on a, on a Wednesday night, I might have, you know, we, we divide them in groups age-wise. Sometimes boys and girls differently, just, you know, with, with our different leaders, our different staff. And I might have them with me and I might have... Uh, I don't know, um, eight, 10 year olds, 10, I mean, eight, eight, uh, nine, 10, 11 year olds with me, just a group of eight kids and say, guys, I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to have my secret place time. Would you like to join me and have them come and bring their journals and their Bibles? And I'll just pretend like they're not there. And I'll literally have my quiet time and just invite them in. And so they're seeing that. And then, then they sit there and just, you know, whether they color in their book or whether they, you know, read the Bible or, you know, I have worship music playing, like it's, you know, I want them to just, I just want to invite them in. Like, this is what it can be with Jesus. You could, yeah. yeah and, and just like inviting them in. And, and so we just invite them in for prayer. We pray about things. They've seen miracles happen. They have this great, incredible built up. I don't know how to say, it, but legacy of, of faith that they've experienced firsthand. Every generation of our home has seen different things happen. Mm-hmm. And so that all goes into their DNA. And I think it helps form and shape them. And, and uh, of course, they, we also attend different local churches and and uh, and things like that. We don't go to all the same place. We let them kind of go where they want where they want to go, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they divide up and go. And and so, um, yeah, that's kind of how we looked at it. Well, it's an unbelievable story, uh, Tammy. I'm I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share with us and and uh, the way that God has provided for you miraculously time and time again and 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 that all of that serving to build your faith and even in the hardships of being taken away from uh, the country in which your family is and 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 being uh, replanted here back in the US and now using you in a different capacity to serve uh, so many of these young families who are you know struggling in their parenting and we're just so grateful for those ministries that the Lord's opened up for you I do wonder if you would if you would sort of close us in prayer as we do think about uh, you know our listeners who may be parents of all kinds of ages of kids, uh, grandparents, people who want to start a family. Just as we kind of keep them in mind, uh, I wonder if you would pray for us. Sure, sure. Lord, we just love you. We love the way that you move, God. Uh, we have freedom to move with us, God. Lord, I just pray that you would just give an outpouring to all of us, God. We need you in this hour. We need you, God, to guide us in the small things and the big things. I especially pray for parents right now, God. I pray that you would give them um, incredible wisdom, Lord, um, just straight from your heart, God, on uh, how to raise their children, God, in a world and a culture that's just coming against so many so many things. Um, Lord, the culture is, is actually um, just kind of almost assaulting our kids at times. And I just pray, God, that you would give us and give every parent who's listening right now incredible wisdom on how to um, pour truth into their kids, God, and how to pour truth into their kids and help them to know who they truly are, God. I just pray for incredible wisdom and grace, Lord. That's what I pray for every day of my life, God, and in Asia and even now, Lord. Wisdom to know your heart, discernment, God, to, to really understand which way you want us to go, and then grace for when we mess up, God. 
So I just pray for wisdom and discernment for grace for each listener right now. God, come and have your way, Lord. We we want more, God. We want more. And um, we just say that you'd have your way with us, God. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Tammy, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Of course. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.